The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Welcome to Beside Still Waters. I'm glad to be with you again as we are uh, coming close to uh, Resurrection Sunday. And of course, across all Christendom, various facets of uh, the Christian faith are celebrating the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we are going to look at a specific aspect of the resurrection uh, in our uh, conversation today. However, I want to encourage you as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to take the time to deepen your walk with God. Uh, I've mentioned before repeatedly that this is what this podcast is really all about. It's a very simple uh, publication. Um, I'm here in the United States. I have no idea who might be hearing my voice. And uh, my objective is to encourage the average believer to walk with God, to fall in love with the living God, to be often in his word, learning of him and uh, seeking to please him in all that we say and do. So today we're going to be looking at a few scriptures in the book of Romans, as well as Galatians. And of course, our brother Paul in the book of Romans spent an inordinate amount of time laying out the depravity of mankind. And that was, uh, his arguments were laid out in the first three chapters of uh, the book of Romans, or the letter written to the Roman church. And uh, in addition to that, he assigns uh, this flaw in human beings uh, and it's a flaw in our spiritual character, uh, the very essence of our being. Uh, this flaw is in both Jew and Gentile. No one is exempt. And Paul continues to build this argument right through to chapter 6, which will be ultimately our focus for today. If we were to backtrack just a bit, Paul identifies in chapter 4, the man of faith, Abraham. And one of the truths that we learn about Abraham is that the promised child came into their lives when they were, if I may put it this way, good as dead. Sarah's womb was a grave. In Romans 14, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 4, verses 14 and a little bit of 15 says, According as it is written, I have made you father of many nations before the God whom he believed, who quickens the dead or makes alive the dead 
and calls the things which are not as being. Who against hope believed in hope to his becoming father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And not being weak in faith, he considered not his own body already become dead, being about a hundred years old, and the deadening of Sarah's womb. Clearly, this man looked to the living God to do the impossible in his mortal body. Abraham identified two characteristics about the person and nature of the living God, and it is this. First, he makes the dead come alive. He makes the dead come alive. Secondly, he calls things that are not as though they are. He calls the the non-thing, the non-entitied thing, commands it into being. And so we see it is the nature of God to work the impossible because this is exactly what brings glory to God. We are celebrating in many parts of the world the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ because this pivotal event represents the ultimate witness of the glory of God and his life-giving ability. Our Lord Jesus Christ conquered death and the grave. But for our purposes, he uses Abraham as the supreme example of what he is about to do and what he wants to do and what he will do for the man or woman who looks to him to perform that which they themselves cannot do. When we examine Abraham's life, God allowed 25 years to pass until Abraham was convinced he could not have a child or did not have the physiological wherewithal to impregnate his wife. It was also clear that Sarah's womb was dead. It was a grave. It could not sustain life, the life of, an, uh, of a fetus, an unborn child. Thus, God revealed himself to Abraham in the beginning when he told him to go to a land I will show you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And the entire earth would be blessed because of this man's obedience. And so God is not only blessing him, but defending him against his enemies. And so he reveals again to this man Abraham, when he finally arrived in the land, God a second time reveals himself to him and confirms this is the land. And then he reveals himself yet again when he went down into Egypt and was chased out of Egypt and returned to the place where God spoke to him and there he called upon God. And not only that, but 
when he separated from Lot, there God took him on a high mountain and showed him the entire land, north, west, east, and south, and reiterated the promise again. And God revealed himself yet again when he delivered Lot out of the hands of the kings when there was, um, if you will, global, glo- not global, uh, tribal warfare among the local kings. And God uh, used Abraham to deliver Lot. And that night, the promise was yet again reiterated. And even uh, he was prophetically given a view of the uh, coming history of the nation of Israel as they would be slaves in Egypt. And so he had several personal encounters with God where God renewed and, and reinforced the covenant, the promise that he would have a child. And in all these circumstances, God was strengthening Abraham's faith and reinforcing the expectation in this man's mind and heart that God will keep his promise and give him a son in his old age. This God has complete mastery over death. Why is this important for us? My friends, fellow believers, it matters because we look within ourselves for character evidences, character graces. And we are not yet convinced that we do not possess these graces. It's not in us. The characteristics, the fruit of the Spirit, we are bankrupt. It's not in us. And we are told in Galatians 2.20 that we have been crucified with Christ. We are so incorrigibly bad and lacking the inner resources. We are so cut off from God in our normal human nature that it necessitates crucifixion. God in Christ has to put us to death. And so when Paul writes in Galatians 2 and 20, I am crucified with Christ and no longer live, but Christ lives in me. But in that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, the face of the Son of God who has loved me and given himself for me. And this one verse, though we quote it so often, don't realize that it shouts impossibility. We quote this verse, and yet we must confess, we don't really know what it is to live in Christ crucified. And conversely, we don't know what it is to have Christ living in us. Cognitively, it's a wonderful verse. But the spiritual reality and experiential reality escapes many of us. For us to know the wonder of what it means, we must receive it exactly as Paul received it. He says, I am crucified with Christ. The original languages in the Greek, Koine Greek, says, I have been and I still am crucified with Christ. That reality has not changed. And this is what Paul was saying. I have been crucified, 
I still yet remain crucified. And Paul is stating a fundamental fact concerning what we see in Romans 6. God included me in that awful crucifixion event. And each of us can say there were four crucified on that day. Two criminals, the Lord Jesus between them, and I crucified with him. Here is where faith, like the faith of Abraham and the faith of the patriarchs, comes into the picture. Do I believe that this was my crucifixion also? Do I hold on to it as a solid, fundamental, foundational truth about my history in Adam? Do I look as Abraham looked at his dead body and its inability to produce this child in the same manner many of us look within But we fail to accept after years of failure that the graces, the Christian, the Christ-like characteristics are not part and parcel of my initial makeup. God the Spirit has to bring it to pass in resurrection power. I am to acknowledge before God that I am dead. I have died with Christ And I remain crucified. And so, my friends, this is what Abraham did. He looked at his body and concluded, I'm dead. And he looked at Sarah's body and concluded, she's dead. Her womb is dead. It is impossible that she would ever bring forth a child by any natural effort. And that is the key. Many of us seek to bring to pass Christ-like character by our effort, self-effort. None of us are able to bring forth the character of our Lord Jesus by an exercise of the power of the flesh. We must simply embrace the truth of the cross, similar to that one criminal, when he chided the other and essentially said, we are deserving of what we're getting, but not this man. And then he made the transition when he said, remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom. He embraced the truth that the man he is dying or that is dying next to him is none but the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the same way he embraced that truth, so too you and I embrace the truth that as Christ was crucified, I am looking vicariously on my crucifixion in the Lord Jesus Christ. The second half of this verse of Galatians 2.20 tells the other difficult part of the truth. Christ lives in me. Christ lives 
in me. This is not a, as used to be popular in the 80s, what would Jesus do moment, and then we do it. This is a, I am here surrendered to you, and I'm asking you by your grace and indwelling spirit to live for me in the very circumstances that I live in and manifest yourself in me. This Christian life is a life of willing surrender. It is a life of active faith in the moment. It is a life of expecting God to work the impossible in me in that very hour. A life of surrender, a life of active faith, a life of expectancy. We see the character of the Lord Jesus. And we all know, every one of us, intimately, we know we don't have it in us. We don't have that capacity in us. We don't have the wherewithal to live Christ before a dying world. But as our Lord Jesus Christ was raised up gloriously from the dead, it necessitated the great and mighty work of God. And for us to live this impossible Christian life, it requires the same resurrection power of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This power must be operative in my life and in my mortal body. Thirdly, Paul states that the secret to living a crucified life while simultaneously allowing the Spirit of God to bring forth the character of our Lord Jesus necessitates living by faith. Let me illustrate. I, in my past, often struggled with anger. This was my, if you will, Achilles heel. This was my personal downfall. And what God did was to put me in a circumstance where the people that I would be exposed to would become such severe irritants that the only way, I say the only way that Christ would be made manifest in my life is if I took the same position that our Lord Jesus took before he went to Calvary. It is simply this. The Lord Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, quote, Not my will, but your will be done. This was the first task on my part and on the part of any believer, and that is to accept the current moment, the current circumstances that I might be enduring. I must receive it as the perfect will of God in order to manifest Christ in my life. I must embrace this moment of trial, of difficulty, of testing, 
as God's sovereign, perfect will to do one thing and one thing only, manifest Christ in my mortal body. Secondly, when the trial is in full force, at that very moment, I must, by faith, thank God for it and receive that trial as coming from the mighty hand of God himself. And in receiving it, I simply asked him to perform his perfect work in transforming my character. In essence, I said, have your perfect will in my mortal body and give me the grace to simply surrender in that moment. The last task was this. I spent much time meditating on the truth of my crucifixion. That is, as Paul says, I have been and I still am crucified with Christ. And while I was in the midst of the trial and having experienced any inward tension in my heart, at that very moment, I thanked God by faith for his grace and I, I embraced the trial and took the step of willing surrender, refusing to attempt to exhibit any of the characteristics of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, I refused to try and I simply trusted God to bring it out in me by the working of his spirit. And I want you to think about that. I stopped trying and I simply trusted God to bring to pass the result. And that's what salvation or deliverance from sin is. When we first heard the gospel, we stopped trying to please God and we received his message that whosoever believes on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. And we transferred our faith from us to him. In the same way, I simply allow the Spirit of God to perform a surgical procedure inwardly and over time, I saw, indeed, I really was crucified. It was not that I made it happen, but I surrendered to the truth that it has already happened when Christ was crucified. And the Spirit of God declared that I was already crucified. That's what he says in Galatians 2.20. And I must accept it as a divinely accomplished fact. So too, with every grace, we must receive it first and foremost as an already accomplished fact in our lives in spite of what our eyes see within ourselves. We keep in the midst of of trial or temptation, we keep looking to God and his word, trusting the spirit of God to bring it to pass in our mortal bodies. For some, they see it immediately. For others, it may take time, 
But the fact is, it has already been accomplished. It is a slow, dying, and enlivening work that the Spirit of God performs. And ultimately, it will be the same for every believer. Paul wrote in the same letter to the church, that is Galatia, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and so forth. And all of these graces we do not possess in our mortal bodies. As our faces differ, so we may have different proportions of lack, (laughs) but we all lack. (laughs) And we are equally dependent on the Spirit of God to bring forth these character traits of our Lord Jesus. In fact, all it is is a manifestation of the very person of the Lord Jesus in our mortal bodies. And when he is manifested, people see the love, joy, peace, and long-suffering, the goodness, kindness, gentleness. That's what they see. But what God is doing is fashioning Christ in us. These are simply the evidences of Jesus Christ fully living in me, resurrected to the glory of God. And my task, your task, is to surrender, to yield moment by moment as I do my labors, as I raise my children, as I clean my home, as I walk in the park, as I sing at church, as I comfort a friend, or whatever I may do. Colossians 3 and I believe 21 says, that we ought to do it heartily as unto the Lord. In other words, for the glory of God. Let's turn the corner a bit and go to Romans chapter 6. And there we could see our crucifixion from the divine vantage point. In fact, Paul begins chapter 6 Uh, in this manner. I'm living right now with a completely changed relationship to the entity of sin. Paul isn't looking at the problem from the vantage point of behaviors, you know, my sins, my actions, my crimes against God. He's looking at the problem from the core, which is, it is seen Uh, That is, sin is seen as a potentate, an enemy, a ruler, an entity in and of itself. And this ruler commands influence, authority over the human entity. So Paul asks the obvious question. We who have died to sin, how shall we any longer live in it? Here's, Here's my simple translation. My relationship to the core problem, that is sin, has changed so completely to the extent that I am no longer a slave to it. I'm no longer obligated and mandated and compelled to live under its dominance. So you ask the question, well, how do you know? How do you know? We have been baptized, immersed, included in the crucifixion experience, the death experience of our Lord Jesus Christ is the very experience to which our baptism points to. 
Baptism is an actual picture of a spiritual event and an accomplishment by the hand of God. And Paul even links the resurrection to this event. It is a complete holistic view of the work of Christ translated down to the human level where you and I live. Now, Paul brings the core issue to the forefront of our thinking, and in his dialogue with us, he asks the obvious question, and it is this, are you ignorant that we, as many as have been baptized into Christ Jesus, have been baptized unto his death? And he goes on to say, We have been buried, therefore, with him by baptism unto death, in order that, even as Christ has been raised up from among the dead by the glory of the Father, so also we should walk in newness of life. And so, my friends, it is clear that the expectation of the Apostle Paul and that of the Spirit of God, who is the author of these truths, it is the clear expectation that the believer who embraces the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus as not only being the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ, but our personal crucifixion as well, and embraces this truth by faith, that as our Lord Jesus has been risen up from the dead, so too we should walk in newness of life. Why? because our relationship to sin has been forever altered when we were crucified with Christ. It's amazing. Simply amazing. So let's, uh, let's go on. Paul is simply saying that our relationship to sin has changed. It has changed. Our entire relationship has changed. And we need to embrace this. Paul brings this core issue to the forefront of our thinking. And he asks this obvious question, are we ignorant of this? Are we ignorant of this? We've been baptized into this experience of our Lord Jesus being judged for sin. And when he was crucified, we were crucified. Uh, I was having a conversation with one of my friends, and uh, I'll illustrate it this way. So in speaking with him, I said, uh, have you ever talked with someone who's buried in a graveyard? And the gentleman laughed and thought a moment. And he said, well, I have. Uh, and I asked him, well, what did you hear? And he said, well, I didn't hear anything. And I asked, why? And he said, well, because they're dead. They can't respond. And I said, you spoke inaccurately. Because that is exactly what the Spirit of God is saying. If I or you believe with all our hearts that as Christ was crucified, well, in fact, let me go back a bit. Just as we believed the gospel when we first heard it, that Christ Jesus died for the ungodly, so too, if we believe this great news that when Christ was crucified, I was crucified, and from that point until the present, I still am crucified, it is therefore the responsibility of the Spirit of God to bring Christ 
alive as you, if, if I could put it that way, in my mortal body. Why? Because I am judging myself to have been crucified. He now has to live for me, in me. I am not required to crucify myself, but I am required to believe the testimony of God that it has been already accomplished in our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is the same spirit whose responsibility it is to manifest Christ in me. It is upon believing this word that God brings it to pass. Resurrection life becomes my life. Oh, my friends, many struggle with these simple truths, but it is the grace of God and the power of God that manifests the life of Christ in our mortal bodies. It is not my duty to strive to make this happen in the power of our flesh. It is a simple act of faith. Oh, my friends, this is why we meet at Beside Still Waters, so we can embrace simple biblical truths and experience marvelous transformation in our lives. Our Father and our God, we ask that you would give grace to the trusting soul who looks to you to do the impossible, and that is manifest Christ's resurrection life in our mortal bodies. So let it be done according to your word and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining Besides Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Besides Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.